your Bible, let's open up to the Gospel of John. We'll begin at the very end in John 14. And we'll be there in just a second. I'll allow you to, to get there. Today we'll be in John 15, but for the next several months we'll be in John, 1 John. So this beloved disciple who walked with Jesus, who sat next to Jesus, who was at the cross of Christ, um, we will see his words as a seasoned pastor, a seasoned elder to the churches for these next several months. But the words we come to today of Christ will be the words that even get echoed out even from our brother John. Happy New Year, friends. This is the first Sunday of this new year. And um, God's Word exhorts us to forget or to forget what lies behind us and to strain forward to what lies ahead. This is Paul's admonition of the Philippian church. And any other year, that's what we do. We just, we take the last part of December and reflect on that year and the first Part of the new year, we, were, we charge forward with goals and resolutions and um, just moving forward in life, often at warp speed. It's really hard for me to do that. I've told many of you that I just feel like we're in a fog. 2020 was a year that none of us foresaw, that sideswiped us. Um, think of the things that were cut from life last year. Human contact, social life, just peace of mind for so many, relationships that became strained in families and friendships and churches, personal liberties, financial stability for many. These are things that were cut from life in 2020. And so it's just hard for me just to forget that and to think that just by turning a calendar, it's now all different. It feels very much like a fog. And as we're supposed to be visioning into the future and goal setting and resolutions, I'm still processing the cutting of life in 2020. And so in, and we'll stuff that stuff down in emotions and so many have cursed 2020, many have mocked 2020, many have forsaken 2020. We are tempted to believe that God was not present with us in 2020, that he was not sovereign over 2020, that he was not um, good to us in 2020, and that is a lie from the pit of hell. When things are cut from life, we ask the necessary questions like, what caused that? And, an option, and one of the answers can be, it's just we're living life in a fallen world where there is disease disaster, and death. That's part of the curse now upon creation, and creation is groaning out for redemption. That cuts things from life. The sin of people, just as our sinful nature gets expressed out, it's going to cause these divisions and divides. The scheming of evil people, evil powers, is cutting things from life. The killing, stealing, and destroying work of Satan and his demonic host are working to cut things from life. And it's often a lot of these things all in tandem, but I would ask you to consider another option. 
the disciplining love of our Lord for greater purposes that we do not yet see. Here's the reality. There are actually more things happening right now than we realize. If we could peel back the heavenlies and look into the spiritual realms, we would, be, we would just fall to our knees. We would be overwhelmed. There's a lot of things happening in these hardships and sufferings of this time. And while many intend stuff for evil, God always works everything for good, all things together for good. So my question to us as we turn into a new year, what were, for all that 2020 was, what were God's purposes for cutting away much of life? Now, I know that we're trying just to grab it back together and just put it back together and, and have normal. But what, what, where was God working and what was happening there? And so this morning, I want us to turn to Jesus' words to his disciples just hours before his unjust arrest, his brutal beating, and glorious crucifixion. John 13, 17, for some of your Bibles, is going to be the upper room discourse. It's going to be a lot, for some of your Bibles, it's going to be a lot of red. It's a lot of red letter chapters here because these are the words spoken by Christ to his disciples. It's all the word of God. But look at John 14, verse 31. These hours before his unjust arrest, brutal beating, and glorious crucifixion. Rise, let us go from here. He is with now the 11 disciples. Judas has exited to go betray and to get the band to go identify Jesus. Perhaps Jesus says, rise, let us go from here. Perhaps they lingered a little longer there in the upper room as he gave that command and they, he continued teaching. Or perhaps at this point they, they actually did rise and they were walking and talking at the same time. That they left the upper room, began the walk across the city of Jerusalem, down the Kidron Valley, up to the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. They may have passed the great golden vine that decorated the door to the holy place of the temple. And they definitely would have seen different vines growing close to the city walls, stretch along it. The imagery that's now going to come in chapter 15, they are familiar with. It's probably unfamiliar to us, but it's familiar to them. And they may have seen it as he was talking as they walked, or even if he was still in the upper room, this is what would have come to their mind. Please come to me, John 15. We'll be in the first 17 verses. These are the words of our Lord. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. 
By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. We will pause, even though I don't want to. These words are life. These words are so rich and full. In John chapter 6, Jesus says, The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and flesh, or spirit and life. The flesh is of no help at all. It would take this very passage, could be a sermon series through this entire season. But for this morning, I just want us to hear these words into this new year and consider again our life in Christ. What do you want to do into this new year? I mean, do you have, do you have the goals and the resolutions and everything that's setting out? Verse 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. So for all that we want to do, Christ just quickly says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Well, Derek, what does this mean? Is, there are many people who do many things who don't know and love Jesus. Ordinary, unbelievers, well, they're not frozen. They're, they're continuing on in ordinary, everyday activities. Unbelievers are shaping culture. They're leading society. And one of the things that we always do as a family, and I'm trying to always beat Roman on this, is we always count the number of Teslas we, on the seat, we see on the road. We saw a lot more in Arizona than we see in Roanoke. Um, so you can get number of Teslas. Elon Musk is a business tycoon, a designer, um, an engineer. Man, the Lord has wired his brain in such a way to invent and conceive things. And it's Tesla, SpaceX, like he's going, he's going beyond the atmosphere. Neuralink, open, AI, artificial intelligence. He's, one, he's named by Forbes like one of the most world's powerful people doesn't believe in God. He believes we're living in a simulation. But apart from Christ, we can do nothing, he says. So what does this mean? Apart from Christ, nothing we do has eternal value. So for all the things that we want to goal set and resolve and do that. And these may be good things. Apart from Christ, they will have no eternal significance. So the question then becomes, then, then we should think about our goals and resolutions then being, 
toward Christ, seeking first the kingdom that would have eternal value. It's not going to be good for us to gain the world and yet lose our soul. So how shall we now live? Is the question each generation asks. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing, but abiding in Jesus, we can glorify God and so love others. Look at verse 4. This is the word you've heard repeated through this passage, and you'll hear it a lot in 1 John. Abide in me, and I in you. That's in my English Standard Version. That's also in the NASB. If you have the NIV or the New Living Translation, it's going to be remain. Like, remain in me. And it's good to kind of look across the translations to see how we can get the, the scope of this Greek word into our English language. But I do like abide better. To abide means to live or to dwell in a place. And that's why we have the word abode. Where is your abode? That's where you live. That's where you reside. Psalm 90 verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. See, this is not a new concept, Jesus says, but it's a new reality into a new covenant. But even from of old, they are saying, the Lord, you are our dwelling place. We are to abide in you. But here's the, the mystery and the wonder that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. He dwelt, abided, abode. It's abode, but I'm going to say abided. So that you understand, he abided with us. In Christ, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Go look at all the architectural language across the epistles of the New Testament. And we are being built up as like living stones to be a dwelling place for the Lord. He abides in us. So this is spiritual mystery and reality. And he's already spoken of this mysterious union that he has with the Father. And even his union now with the disciples in chapter 14. Imagine being a disciple trying to process this in the first hearing. Don't make it so familiar, churchgoer, that we miss the wonder. I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. So we're using words that just seem spiritual, but it's, it's the reality. We, we are in Christ, and then Christ is in us. That's reality. I was just talking to one of the young folks who was here before church, saying, yeah, I was like checking out these Oculus glasses. Have you seen the commercials for like the virtual reality glasses? He said, man, I was wearing those things, and it was real. And I took it off, and reality felt less real than what I was just in. And I'm like, dude, you want me to go old man on you now? Because I'm not, how close, this, the screen is not going to stay two-dimensional, friends. The internet is just not just going to stay something you just keep browsing. The internet is going to be something we are going to be in. This is the matrix. I know it was a movie. 
But we're plugging in. And it's coming and already here. That's reality. Redefined. This is the reality I'm imploring you to understand. We are in Christ and Christ is in us. And that's much more real than we realize. And Jesus says, abide in me. Make your home in me. And so if you're spiritually and just feel homeless, like I just don't feel like I belong anywhere. I don't know where I, where I go for refuge. I don't know where I go for fellowship. You just feel spiritually homeless. I'm asking you, come home to Jesus. This passage is saying, abide in him. And Jesus knows that this is, a weird, this is hard for us to get. And so he gives us a picture, the imagery of a vine. Now, we're less familiar with vines, except if you have ivy at your home or a tomato plant or some squash. In summary, we're more familiar with trees and shrubbery. But please hear these words. Look at verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. I am the vine. Now, I know we're parachuting into this text out of nowhere, but this is the last I am saying of the Gospel of John. Jesus has already declared, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Before Abraham was, I am. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And now I am the true vine. Jesus says he's the true vine, but the Old Testament makes allusion to Israel being a vine. One example would be this in Psalm 80. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and then planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took deep root and filled the land. Israel itself is pictured as a vine. And then here's this man, this son of Abraham, son of David, comes on the scene. And all this agricultural imagery continues to crop up in his teaching. Every healthy tree bears good fruit. The diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. But then here, finally in this upper room discourse, or on this walk to Gethsemane, he says, I am the true vine. There's no one that came before him. There's no Israelite, no Jew before him that perfectly kept this law of God. It was goodness. It, it was self. It was a grace given to us so that we could have relationship to God, but no one kept it. It, it showed the perfect character of God and how we're to live with him, and no one kept it. But even by not keeping it, God made provisions in it that sacrifices could be made for the atonement of sin. And no one kept it until this one. Perfectly keeping the law and the prophets. Jesus, the perfect covenant keeper, true Israel. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. But abiding in Jesus, we can have life and we can be fruitful. 
So please, that's the image of the vine. We are branches connected to a vine that's growing. There's a lot of branches here. We being, I would think most of us are Gentiles, are grafted into this vine. So this is mutual abiding. He's in us, we're in him, but please don't get this mixed up. This is not mutual identity. He's the vine, we're the branches. Um, years ago, when I didn't, want to, didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up, <laughs> um, I was taking a lot of biology courses at James Madison, uh, plant sciences, botany, and you study tissues and plants. And if you understand plants, there's the, the leaves are like, they're all green and they're doing photosynthesis, and they're taking, converting this and sending things down and phylum, carrying the glucose byproduct of photosynthesis to the plant's body. So there's things going down this way. But then also from the roots, from the, the core trunk of this, there's xylem going up and taking it this way. So there's a transport going both ways, phloem and xylem. Cut a tree down, some of you have done this, and you see those rings? That's just the xylem of just previous year's transport of minerals and water and such. And even though Jesus is using divine imagery, let's not over-realize it. This is not the way it works in the vine of Christ. It's not two ways. It's one way. We do not transport anything needed to Christ for life. We give nothing. All we have is our sin. And yet he then takes that and atones for it and gives us life in Christ. This tissue of transport it's his word. It's his spirit. There's a mutual abiding that we now have, but Jesus alone is the life. We are not the vine. We are the branches. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing, but abiding in him, we can have life and be fruitful. Derek, this sounds all nice and everything, but really, these, are, these seem like spiritual concepts of abiding, and now you're saying, oh, he's the vine and we're the branches. What does this practically mean? And to this, Jesus gives us his own directives. Let me not fill in the gaps for Jesus. He says, keep my commandments. So we, have, we are to abide in him. It's, it's pictured like a vine. So what does this mean? Keep my commandments. Abiding is not some passive activity. It's active obedience. Let me give you another science example. If you've seen like crystals grow in water, they're just kind of there and just, it kind of grows from the outside in and just added into it. That's not us. That's inorganic, outside onto growth. This is growth from the inside, organically, organic union to Christ. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Verse 10, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. But Derek, these words I don't actually particularly like. Commandments, obedience. It sounds too much like legalism that I'm just trying to escape from my childhood church or whatever. We have a wrong understanding of obedience. Obedience is never a duty if it's to someone we love. Obedience is never burdensome duty if it's unto someone we love. And if the Lord is calling us to obey, and you get hung up on that, just quickly keep reading the verse. Just as I have 
obeyed my father's commandments. Just as I love my father. Don't miss the last part of verse 10. Jesus kept his father's commandments. And this is how Jesus abided in his father's love. We cannot be disciples of Jesus and not obey him. We can cry out, Savior, Savior, but if he's not Lord, Lord, we don't know who he is. But Derek, I still feel a little uneasy about this because it's just going to be harsh taskmasking upon us. No, do you see what he then says in verse 14? He is the king, but what does the king also say about us and him? You are my friends if you do what I command you. Jesus is both king of all and yet friend to us. These are not burdensome commands. Uh, well, Derek, just then give me the list. I want to, if Jesus can be my friend, what are the commandments I need to do? A new commandment I give you, John 13, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another, and by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is what he commanded his disciples after and as he was stooped down and washing their feet. Love. There's no list to remember and to check off. The, the command is love. And so, St. Augustine said, love God and do as you please. Oh, really? We get to do whatever? Love God. And so, loving God encompasses everything. And so if we love God, we will do the things that God loves, and that will actually be obedience to him. This is the great commandment. There's, this is the greatest commandment, love. To love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is just like it. Love our neighbor as ourselves. On this, all of the law hangs. Love. So I know we're all making nutrition goals and exercise goals, and, but what if this was our resolve into this year to more heartily obey Jesus? Obedience is not a duty for those that you love. We cannot say we love Jesus if we do not obey Jesus, and we cannot say that we obey Jesus if we do not love others. Love is the linchpin. We cannot say we love Jesus if we do not obey Jesus. We cannot say we obey Jesus if we do not love others. See, there's obedience there, and it's love unto God and love to others. So to obey Jesus, we must know Jesus, and to know Jesus, we must know God's Word. How else is He revealed? Otherwise, we will just picture Jesus however we want Him to be. So reading the Bible is not a duty it may not always be fresh and may, things may not always be jumping off, but just devotion and discipline to God's word, he will meet us and show us Jesus. And so the thing that I always love about you guys, City Light, I know some of you got your own reading plans, but like even December, I'm like, no, just kind of, I mean, Seth is doing the Advent book and just like, I don't know what to do. We need a reading plan. And I love that you always beg me for a Bible reading plan. And there's great reading plans out there, but 
what I'm encouraging and exhorting us here to in January, February, March, this winter season, let's take it in smaller goals. Let's read the Gospel of John, let's read through Proverbs, and let's read through Genesis. Three key books, three different genres, Old Testament, wisdom, the Gospel. And then on Sundays, we're going to be in 1 John. What do we learn about Jesus and his word here? Verse 13. Please remember the timing of this. We're just minutes and hours away from arrest and beating and crucifixion. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. He's just called them friends, and now he's going to lay down his life for his friends. But he does that first by praying alone in the garden because his friends couldn't stay awake. So he submitted himself to the Father's will, the Father's command, not my will, your will be done. And there comes Judas Iscariot, who had left the upper room, is now leading a band, gives him a kiss, and identifies him for arrest. He's falsely accused. It's going to be a long night. He's falsely accused. He's unjustly condemned. And yet even this evil which was intended against him, was actually ordained by God for good. I can't, that's the mystery. God is so sovereign that even as we're working our evil at this level, God has got good and sovereign eternal purposes at work at the same time. And there the Son of God, God in the flesh, is crucified on the cross. He's forsaken by God because he's, it was my sin that held him there. My sin upon his shoulders. It was, he was bearing my sin. So he did no sin, but he became sin. And so was forsaken by God and judged for my sin. The innocent one condemned in my place. The sinless one. Life. The one who gives life. Died. And why does he do this? Verse 13. Greater love. Jesus loves the Father. And so his death is not like a surprise attack where he then becomes a victim of history. This is the will of God. And so Jesus glorifies himself to submitting himself even unto death. But this is love for God, but this is love for us because this is our very, our salvation. And so today, into this new year, whether you've walked with Jesus for, genera- or for years, decades, or whether he's calling you home, saying, come home to me, abide with me, do you believe that this is the truth of the death of Christ, to glorify God and so save you from your sin? Not abstractly, your sin. What else do we learn of Jesus in this passage? Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask my father in my name, he may give to you. It was Jesus who called the disciples to follow him. Now there's active response, dropping the nets, leaving the the father's business and, and following Jesus. There's active obedience, but there's effectual call. Come follow me. 
And so this wasn't like, hey, come know me, come get saved, and let's just hang out until heaven comes. This is like, come follow me, and there's good works we got to walk into. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So what is the chief aim of our life? What is the greatest resolution that we could make for any year of our life? To glorify God. What does this mean to glorify God? To worship Him alone. To show God as most supreme in His power. Most excellent in His character. Most perfect in His ways. To show that God alone is worthy of praise. Glorifying God is what our fruit is to do. This is how we glorify God. Bear much fruit. The fruit of righteousness. The fruit of faith confession. The fruit of good works. The fruit of the Spirit. Of love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and gentleness and self-control. So we glorify God. We bear fruit. But how do we bear fruit? Abide. Stay connected. Remain in him. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. But abiding in him, we can glorify God and so truly love others. Verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that your joy... No, 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 no. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. He's hours, he's minutes and hours away from betrayals in the works, arrest, beating, crucifixion, and he's talking about his joy. By this, I want my joy to be in you and so that your joy is full. How do I don't, we don't understand suffering. We, we miss, we approach suffering too much like the world. But Jesus approached suffering and saw God's purpose in it. So it was joy set before him to endure the cross and scorn its shame. Because how could you have joy for such a horrific death? Such condemnation, not only physical death, but spiritual condemnation for sin. How can you do that? Because it was glorifying God and saving us. It was Jesus has the joy of the Lord is my strength. I mean, are we just mouthing that? Or like the joy of the Lord? His the Lord's joy is my strength. The mighty one who rejoices over us with gladness, who quiets us by his love and exalts over us with loud singing. Was 2020 a year of joy for you? We got sideswiped. I got sideswiped. Still careening, figuring out where the road is in front of me. My joy wanes the more that I don't realize God's love for me in Christ. So the more that I think about Jesus' love for me, the more his joy is in me. This is not me just trying to like do positive thinking and trying to be happier. I'm trying to know and follow Jesus, to see him, to know him and his revelation. So my question here in John 15 on this first Sunday of the year is why here? Why John 15 for the first Sunday of 2021? I've told you one reason is that we're going to be turning to 1 John um, into this new year, I, 
I can't, I just, it feels foggy. I don't, I can't see far out. I can get the fog lights on and just, I've just got to slow down. I feel like I'm slowing down on Afton Mountain just to stay on the road. And you're perhaps feeling that in your life, in your workplace. And what 2020 has given us as a severe mercy is like we needed to slow down. So I can't see there, but as I just even see where the Lord led us in Scripture, I felt like, all right, now we're going to like, let's pivot back to the New Testament. We've been in Paul and Mark and Luke, and we've not been in John. And just this John, as Christian and I were talking, First John is just, not only fits in the palette of preaching the whole counsel of God for us, but I'm, I'm looking forward to just having John in his later years, and not only an elder in the church, but an elder elder in the church, um, speak to us. And you just kind of hear Christ exude from him because he's abiding in Christ. He's a beloved disciple, and I think many of us need to know more so into 2021, our belovedness in the Lord. And I think a second reason is we need to realize our union with Christ. We need to, everything is digital now. Um, everything is distanced. And I think we need to understand the, the closeness, the organic spiritual life that we have in Christ and he in us. He is the vine and we are the branches. Apart from him, apart from Christ, anything we do in 2021 will be for nothing. But if we can learn to abide in Christ, may we bear fruit for the glory of God and the good of others. Was 2020 a fruitful year for you? Was 2020 fruitful for our church? I can bullet point that answer down. I can count the many blessings, the unexpected surprises and blessings of last year because it was in God's sovereignty. I mean, even Israel in exile experienced the common good graces of the Lord in Babylon. But if I were to read this passage, John 15, I look at 2020 as more of a pruning year. It seems that we were all just getting cut. Just things were getting cut out. And so what was the purpose of this cutting? Verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. But every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And this pruning mean, literally means trim clean just just like take a tomato plant and get those suckers off so that it can do better fruit bigger tomatoes i mean our tomato plants over in that garden were wild this past summer because we didn't tend it well i mean christian's garden is like standing straight up and like fruit just me and stacy's garden is like jungle maybe tomato in there but too many like Things that just didn't get pruned off in time. Too many nutrient-diverting shoots. Too much irregular growth. And so God prunes us for greater fruitfulness. The Lord disciplines the one he loves. 
Pruning is not pleasant, but necessary. Not always understandable, but purposeful. So I know we want to turn the calendar and think, oh, finally a new year. Let's just get it back to normal. I know I want to forget what lies behind and strain forward to what's ahead, but I'm still processing. I'm not just going to let a turn of a calendar change. I'm still processing what's been cut. And how is it being done by the Lord as a pruning in my life and in our church, in the American church, church worldwide? I pray for greater fruitfulness. Now, the agriculture that I understand of the day, sometimes you prune, and it takes like years to actually see the effect of what's happening. But there's also another cutting that happens in verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Apart from Christ, there is no life and no fruitfulness. Apart from Christ, one is thrown into the eternal fire of hell. And I think if you know me, I'm not, I'm not here sandwich board guy like fire and brimstone, like trying to scare you into heaven by telling you the torments of hell. But woe to me if I don't warn you. Woe to me if I just want you to like me. Just tell you what you want to hear. But these are the words of Christ. Even last words before his death, he's telling them and playing out the imagery of the vine. I mean, if it's split off, it's not given, it's not given fruit. It's taken off and thrown into the fire. He did this in the parable of the weeds of Matthew 13. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man, these are Jesus' words, the Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Hell is real. You can put goggles on and think you're getting into reality. That's virtual reality. But there is a hell that's very present and very real. And there are many who've passed this earth who are now experiencing its eternal torment. Presently, right now. Souls who are experiencing weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I will say this, that what we believe about hell really reveals what we believe about the cross of Christ. If we minimize our sin, then we will be dismissive of hell. God is loving. He will not cast anybody into eternal torment. Well, the cross isn't going to make sense to us. It's going to be a mystery. Why would the Father send his son to die if we're just not that bad? And at very best, the cross will just be some life example of bravery. It won't be glory. But if we see that our sin is cosmic treason and deserving of the righteous judgment of God, then we can only affirm the reality, the eternality, and the horror of hell. And the scandal of God's sovereign mercy 
is not that he doesn't save everyone, but that he saves anyone. That's what one pastor has said. And so then I look to Christ and his cross, and I see there's no other way out for me. There's no other salvation. And I can repent of my sin because I see that it's paid for. And I can believe upon him because I see that my Savior died for me and that he rose from the dead and he is Lord. 2020, big picture, was more of a pruning year. What will 2021 be like in your life and in the life of our church? Will it be more pruning? Or will there, will there be the buds unto fruitfulness? And so while many will curse and mock and lament 2020, I think we need to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand and thank him for last year. To know that he was with us in our sorrows and our disappointments and our missed expectations. And he meets us in those very real emotions, but he's also there as God with greater and sovereign purposes that we do not yet see and know. And so what is our hope for 2021? I mean, ordinary everyday life will continue and there's normalcy that will happen. But I don't want to go back. I want to forget what lies behind. I want to strain forward to what lies ahead. The goal, the upward call unto Christ Jesus my Lord. So City Light, I'll leave it here. Some of you may be in like teams at your workplaces and you'll be around conference tables and instead so of you may map out some goals on a whiteboard and such and it'll be cool and technical. And some of you are going to like, some of you, it's just going to be all these things. I'm going to give you one word that I don't, at least for the first half of this year, we need to dig in this one word. Abide. Abide. I want, call it keyword focus or whatever you want to call it. Abide. Because I don't even know where we're going. But I know where I am. I'm in Christ. And that he's in me. I don't know what's ahead. I don't even know how to step forward some. I know that Christ has us. And he's holding us fast. Abide in Christ's love. Abide in Christ's truth. Abide in his teaching. And as we turn to 1 John in these next weeks, the beloved disciple, later in his years, will exhort us to abiding as well. Whoever confesses, 1 John 4, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe that the love that God has for us, God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. I really None of us know. We can't prognosticate. I don't even know what this coming week's going to hold. But I know where home is. And home is in Christ. And he's made his home with us. That should floor us. We together, or together we are Christ abode. And then I ask you, I mean, if you've never believed upon Christ for salvation, 
And yet you've now come to a realization of your sin and you realize that there's an eternal consequence for your sin against a holy God, but God so loved you that Christ died for him, and you feel spiritually homeless, I'm saying, come home to Jesus today. Confess him with your mouth. Believe upon him with your heart. Because nothing in this life matters apart from him. Apart from him, we can do nothing. But abiding in Jesus, however it all plays out, this is the only way we will bear fruit to so glorify God and so truly love others. It's a mysterious word. Just need to ponder it, meditate on it, word search it, abide. City light. 2018, pray about merging. 2019, come together. We make this as a dwelling place for us for worship unto the Lord. 2020, we get scattered, but then we come back. And all the blessings he's given us, there's none better than this, that Christ is our home. He is our sanctuary. He is our refuge. Let us live in the wonder that he's made us, his dwelling place. Let's pray.